0: We've prayed in song that the Lord would flood this place, your place, your home, your living room, uh, in such a, a beautiful and wonderful way that his presence would minister to whatever your need and whatever your struggle is and whatever you're going through. And I know for a lot of folks, this has just been such a difficult time, and I understand that, and, and uh, I, I feel the same way. And I just want to encourage you, church, uh, to, to mind each other, to look out for each other. If someone's struggling, to give them a phone call, to encourage them, to do something uh, to help. And um, we'll, we'll see uh, getting through this pandemic, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future. And in the meantime, uh, we, we look to God for help and strength And we look also to one another as he's given us the body of Christ in such a beautiful way. Over the last 100 years or so, there's been a change in how the church has been viewed. There was a point in a time in which uh, the church had a voice in the community, in in society. Um, They they, uh, had an influence Pastors were respected and revered and looked up to. And, uh, of course, uh, it's, uh, there was a point in time when the, uh, the pastor of a church in a city, uh, in a town, would, would represent um, a, a wonderful sense of, of uh, help and uh, understanding and knowledge and would be consulted And uh, that's just not the same anymore. Uh, With secularization, uh, we've moved away from the church. The church's voice is not what it used to be. In fact, the church is largely a non-entity, largely unknown, pushed to the margins of society. And... um, that's what it's been like moving further and further away where the church didn't have the same kind of voice or influence. It's interesting, though, when we see the church of Jesus Christ birthed at Pentecost, we see this uh, small group of ragtag people who are going to begin this thing called the church of Jesus Christ. In that first 30 years, the gospel would go and, and knowledge of Christians would go around uh, the, the Roman Empire and would the, the population of those who would be Christ followers would be in excess of 100,000 people. They had a reputation. Uh, in, in fact, they had such a reputation that uh, they were blamed for a fire that they didn't light but because they were an identifiable group of people, uh, they, took the, they took the hit for that. And it's interesting, as the Apostle Paul and Silas go through uh, from, from uh, Asia into Europe, and they're in the church at Thessalonica, a church that they started together, and uh, there was pushback. And, and uh, the leaders of that church uh, said, these people who have turned the world upside down have come here now, and they weren't very happy about that. I I would suggest to you that they had a sense of uh, being uh, the body of Christ. They had a presence. They were growing. They had influence, and uh, for good or for bad, you knew these people called Christ followers. In fact it was in Antioch that they first were called Christians and that was not that was kind of a derogatory uh, statement about them identifying them as these Christ ones, these Christ followers but where, for, for good or for bad this church was known the followers of Jesus. Were garnering notoriety wherever they were, and so while the church here is often so um, marginalized and often obscured and, and not uh, seen in the in the limelight, here we have a church that has a huge impact around the world, and uh, we we ask, how does that happen? What 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 did God do for that to to become a reality? Well. We learned last week that the Holy Spirit came. He came in power. He came and uh, filled the believers and and uh, was working in them. He became, uh, he was to inhabit them and he would provide for them the, the very uh, strength, the wisdom, the direction, the guidance, the empowerment to be Jesus. And remember we were talking last week that, that um Jesus had to go back. He had to ascend back to heaven because he would send the Holy Spirit. As long as Jesus stayed here and didn't send the Holy Spirit, there would, be, uh, there would be one Jesus relegated to one place at one time. Ah, but when he gave us the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we had the empowerment to live out and to be and do what Jesus did. We talked last week about uh, Jesus Uh, And and that everything he did as a human being was done in the power of the Spirit. That is the same that we have. That's the same advantage that we have. That we have that same Spirit that empowered Jesus to overcome temptation, to deliver, to heal, uh, to speak, uh, to see lives changed. It came all through him. And uh, now, because we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that he had to replicate what he is doing, and to have an impact on our society. Now, here's what happens. Jesus had a little handful of people. We know there were about 120 people in the, in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came. And, and we learned last week um, just what happened. We have Jesus uh, coming, and then there, is all, there are these phenomena that uh, were, were showing up, and, and um, what happened was, Peter preached a message, and 3,000 people turned to Jesus and declared he was their Messiah, he was their King, he was their Savior. He, he, 3,000 people were baptized that day. You, can you imagine the disciples baptizing 3,000 people in one day? boy, you're going to be weary at the end of the day with something like that. That's an attention grabber. And remember, he's doing this in the place where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus was murdered very publicly. And uh, so the church, everybody knew about this, these Christians, these Christ ones. And for sure, the uh, the uh, leaders uh, of the the religious uh work in Jerusalem. were very much aware of these uh, people, these Christ followers. So the church was born in a most spectacular way. The spirit is descending from heaven, coming down. There is the sound like of gale-forced winds. Uh, there is what seems to be look like little licks of fire that are coming and separating and and lighting on each one of the people. And then here they are. They begin with a bang. They're praising God, telling about the wonderful acts of God in all, all these languages that they had never learned. Remember, this was Pentecost. It was 50 days after Passover. And so in that time, all of these Faithful pilgrims to Judaism would come to celebrate these feasts. And so you have people from literally all around the, the Roman Empire. They've come. They're Jewish backgrounds, but they, they live in different uh, places, different languages. And, um, and so he, here they are all coming, and they're hearing in their own language, they're hearing the, the wonderful acts of God, what he's done. And, and the interesting thing is, I mean, they were speaking fluently. They had an accent. They just, it was the, and they were, they were just flummoxed by this. How could this happen? These are Galileans. They, they don't know about us. They're uncivilized. They're, 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 they don't have the kind of uh, culture that we have. And here we hear them all speaking in, in our own tongues. And, and so when we look at this, uh, we come to see and ask this question, how is it then, how is it then that, that the church made such a, a, a bang? And, and uh, the first thing that we have in this is that the church um, was a teaching church. It was a teaching church. And and the mar- so we want to look this morning at the marks of a church that can turn the world upside down. What what was this church like, and uh, how did it function in this way, and we said um, there are actually three pictures of the early church in in Ju- Jerusalem, in Acts two and Acts four and Acts five. And God just kind of pulls back for us and lets us get a vision of what that church was like, and I think that Luke very much had in his mind when he was writing this that he wanted us to know this is what a really healthy church is like. This is a this is what a church looks like that is going to turn the world upside down, and so we want to just look at a few points this morning to see what that was like. Um, and so, as I said, the the. The church was birthed in a spectacular kind of way with all of these sounds and all of these miraculous things happening. And um, we're told this, that the apostles devoted themselves to the, uh, or the, the people, excuse me, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The very first thing they tell us about this church that is so spectacular and, and is having such incredible results that, that, from them, the gospel is being spread, it was uh, it was a teaching church. It was a church where where people would come and be schooled and taught and um, and given doctrine so that they would understand the faith they were in. Now, this might kind of surprise you that we have this incredible time where God is is pouring out his spirit and things are happening. Um, And what he recognizes, what they need, they need sound biblical teaching. And it's no accident, I think, that he puts this as the very first thing. They've come off this incredible... Uh, experience they've come and they've come if you will down from the mountaintop of of meeting with God kind of thing and and uh, but they needed to be grounded in the word of God and so the first thing that he commits they're committed to and devoted to and 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 making sure that it's part of the the central thing of what they're doing is they teach doctrine they teach the people what they need to know to believe. And uh, correct doctrine is an important thing because if you don't believe what's right and know what's right, you can easily get off track and, uh, and we would have a, a church that's upside down and, and in a bad way. And this wasn't some kind of anti-intellectual movement this isn't something let's just have an experience but we we don't know what we believe we don't know what how that impinges on our behavior and how our lifestyle and how we do that and so this heads the list of turning a world ups, upside down is is to have proper teaching correct teaching it's critical it's it's not enough just to have an experience you need to know what's behind all of that and teaching was was a primary thing and responsibility for the church. So you see, what we believe really impacts how we live our life. And so it's, it's critical that we do that. But good, sound doctrine is not enough either. We need to, to have that worked out in a different way. And so it was not only a teaching church. It was not only a church where they would get grounded in the word of God. It was, I want to tell you, it was a loving church. Listen to what it says in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. He goes on to say, they devoted themselves to these things And that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was upon them was so powerfully at work in them that that there were no needy persons among them for far from for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them and bought brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he he or she had a need here we are here's the church it's getting grounded but but the one thing that he wanted to happen was he wanted this to be uh, marked as a church that is a loving church uh, above all. Uh, Jesus, uh, interestingly enough, when uh, on the night that he was betrayed, as he met with his, his uh, disciples for the Passover meal, as he washed their feet and spoke to them, after the meal, he said to them, he said, um, I, I, I'm, I've got a new command for you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, by this will all people know that you are my disciples because you love one another. He says this, I want my church to be marked. I want it, I want it to be identified. And oddly enough, as important as doctrine was, he didn't say I want it to be marked by correct doctrine. And that's important, I think he puts it first. But we have these expressions here uh, of what the the church-like love was like. We sang that the Spirit would, would create this atmosphere in here among us. And that's exactly what the the spirit was doing, was creating this atmosphere of love in the church. It was so important. It it was such a core value that Jesus said, this is how I want people to be able to recognize you. I want them to see you guys and how you love each other and how you help each other and do those things. And I'm so blessed when I see in our church people reaching out as someone is struggling and they help in any way, in a practical way, in a prayer way, and in, and, uh, um, coming alongside and encouraging—it's so in, in, incredibly important. Um, so we see that there's this new community of faith, and the, the first thing it says that we're devoted to—fellowship. Fellowship is partnership. It's it's being together. It's living together. It, it's it's sharing life and friendship. And they cared for one another. Think of this. 3,000 people become Christians. And some of these are, uh, a number of these are from out of town. And they're hanging out for a while. And this is putting pressure on them because uh, they, they've got to feed this great host of people. And, and, uh, and, and we read that they were unified. They were like one. And they had this compassion and love for each other. Um, though they came from different backgrounds, they were all one together, and uh, unified together, and they were unified in heart and mind, sharing whatever they had. Uh, if if you had if you had a lack and I had something to meet that need, I would meet that need, and and so they would sell property. And, and the first guy who's recognized as doing that is Barnabas. They gave him the name Barnabas uh, because. He, he was such a, uh, an encourager. That's what, that's what it meant. So they got together and um, they recognized there's a need here. So Barnabas sells his p- piece of property, brings the proceeds of that sale, comes to the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, apostles, gives them the, the money, and they begin to distribute it to all those who had need. What a, what a, what a wonderful way to go. Um, and, and they got together and they shared meal and they were involved in each other's lives. One of the things that I, I love and one of the things that I'm missing so desperately during this pandemic is to be able to see all of you and to be able to share with you and to be able to give you a hug and not just an elbow to elbow kind of thing, but, but just to, to, to love on each other and, and to know what it means to be the church. As we help each other. And we've talked before. There are like 17, 18 different one another's in the New Testament. Of of how we relate to one another. And it seems like we're missing some of that in this time. And so that's why I encourage you to encourage each other. Call each other. Talk to each other. But this group was was out to help each help each other make it through and, and and Jesus said, I want them to see that love. I want to put you on display for everybody to to see what my intention is. I don't know about you but I, I've been following so much of what's happening in the news and in it's uh, day after day after day there, there's calamity after calamity and problems and and murders and and all of that we just saw George Floyd and that whole, uh, uh, episode with his trial, and to find uh, them struggling together. And if this had been a different outcome, uh, how the people would have rioted, and, and it's just terrible. And in, in, in the midst of all of this, Jesus wants to put us on display and say, Love each other. And, and may this be the seminal, uh, the seminal. Uh, task of, of what you do. May this be the, the, the litmus test, the spiritual litmus test, that you recognize and know that these are my people because of the way they love each other. And, and the, the wonderful thing we have is we're told not only to love one another, we're to love our neighbor, whoever, whomever our neighbor is. And so we see that happening. Yesterday, I, I'm I'm just so thankful for all of our people who work in Master's Pantry. Uh, we had uh, deliveries and pickups, and we fed, uh, provided food for 133 people yesterday. And and I am so pleased when I see this because this is Jesus putting his stamp on us, as we're going to be a, a a church that is making a difference and turning the world upside down. We need to be reaching out with love and compassion and kindness. And that's what we've been doing. And, and, and so it's so incredible to hear some of the stories that our workers are telling. How, how people were so close to the wire and we provided food. And how grateful they are. And, and that they would see Christ in us and know what motivates us. It's Jesus and his love. And uh, Jesus said, I want you to love each other. That wasn't new. So how is that a new commandment? Because he said, I want you to love like I love you. And his love was self-sacrificing. He gave everything for that. And so here we are going down to TAC and feeding people and, and, and being the church in that way. And, and so I just want to encourage you to keep going in that. Well, well third, he says it was, it was a worshiping church as well a worshiping church. And uh, worship, what is worship? Worship is responding to the revelation of the person and character of the triune God in such a way that we magnify the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, that we lift them up, we praise and honor them in all that we do. The focus of worship is God. And, and, and we've got to be so careful that we don't turn worship into something that's about us. It is primarily about God, the triune Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we note uh, in this that, that we are called to respond to, to God as he reveals himself to us in a way that lifts him up, exalts him, and, and uh, causes him to be glorified and honored in all we do not just coming to a quote-unquote worship service, but our whole life is to be given in dedication to him, in worship to him. And, and notice that not only is that uh, is it God-focused, but it's also Christ-centered. The breaking of bread, it says in chapter 2, in verses uh, uh, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. What's the breaking of bread? When Jesus took bread uh, at the, uh, the Lord's Supper, he said, uh, he, he took the bread, he blessed it, and then he broke it. And he distributed it to him and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And what the early church did as they gathered, every time they gathered, they celebrated communion. In fact, they had what was called a love feast, and they would have like a potluck, and they would have also, not only the, the potluck, but they would have a communion with that, and, and it w- became called the breaking of bread, and in some Christian traditions, that they don't call it communion or the Eucharist. They say we our breaking of bread service, it, it became a, a way of uh, uh, identifying that. So they gathered themselves to focus on Christ and all he had done for them. And, and when we, next week, by the way, I just want to remind you, is communion. Uh, you need to prepare your elements uh, beforehand. And, and what it does is it keeps our focus on Jesus and what he did and the extreme cost that he paid that we might be uh, Freed from sin and death, that we might be forgiven and invited to be a part of His family, and so it, it was God-focused. It was Christ, Christ-centered, and it was it was done anywhere. It was done at home in homes. They didn't have church buildings. It was done at uh, uh, the temple. They would go and groups would meet at, at the temple, and they would uh, share together in that, and and. Jesus, when he spoke to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, she said she was interested in religious questions as maybe as a deterrent uh, for dealing with her, uh, the issues in her life that were less than good. Um, and she says, well, you know, you worship here and we worship there. And, and, and Jesus said, it's not about that. That the God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just a prescribed place. It, wasn't, it didn't have to be here or there. Everywhere we are, everywhere we go, we're to be worshipers. And, um, and so we see that happening here. They worshiped God. Uh, and, and their worship was authentic, and it was joyful. Um, you know, you hear them. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There, there was no hypocrisy in this. It was th- authentic. And, and they ate together with sincere hearts, glad hearts. It was joyful. And, and, and when we come here and we engage with our God, we ought to be, our, our, our hearts ought to be overflowing with joy and gratitude. The, the greatest joy that we don't come here and do this because of obligation that we, we have to because it's, it's just mandated and we want to keep on the right side of God and so we'll do that. No, we do this and we find our greatest joy in it. I, I, I had a, a wonderful experience a number of years ago of helping a man come to faith in Christ, he uh, he attended one of our uh, Alpha courses, and uh, I just I said, hey, let's let's get together, and and we did, and and uh, I said, what are you making about all this stuff, this Al- that we're learning at Alpha? He says, well, it makes a lot of sense actually, and and I said, well, would w- would you be ready to embrace? that which we have been learning about he said you know I really would and so he prayed it was a most beautiful thing he prayed and uh, in, in his own language not all flowery religious language it was just straight from the heart and I remember a few weeks later uh, meeting him in the lobby after church and I shook his hand and, and I said you know uh, there's there's no place I'd rather be. And, and he was kind of a shy guy, so he moved a little closer and kind of spoke in my ear. He says, you know what? This is the best thing I've, I've ever had. This, I, I, I've had more joy from this. And when people see that we have that joy of knowing Christ, it's, it's so important for us. Uh, John Piper wrote a book called um, Confessions of a Christian Hedonist. Now, we think of that right away. We think of hedonism. It's just living for pleasure. That's what that uh, philosophy is all about. But John Piper says, confessions of a Christian hedonist, that the greatest joy that he has is in Jesus Christ. And and knowing him. And so there's something beautiful and powerful when authentic worship happens, when we praise and adore God, when we love him and and express our gratitude. And when we see and hear people in, in, in heartfelt worship, it's powerful. It's powerful. Not just going through the emotions, but coming and engaging with God and being touched by God in a transformative way. It's an interesting book I have in my library. Um, It's called Worship Evangelism. And the byline is inviting people into the presence of God. You know, I I have had people that have come into our service. They've come off the street. They've seen the sign. They've pulled in, decided to do it, or somebody invited them to come. And I'll see them. And and they're weeping profusely. And I said, are you okay? Yeah, I just, I I don't know what it is. But being in here in the presence of the Lord with us and seeing people in worship. And they've been so profoundly touched that they begin to weep and they don't know what it is. They don't know what's happening to them. They just know there's something about this. And there's something palpable. And there's something different. And hopefully, my prayer is when people come in here, they see us, they see us loving on each other, they see us worshiping in God with all sincerity and with joy and thanksgiving. And for people who are messed up and struggling and in all kinds of trouble and breakups and financial problems and health problems, and when they see that there's something, there's something of hope that they come. And the early church was a worshiping church, It was overflowing with gratitude and full uh, and in awe of God and all that he is doing. And uh, I want you to know that all of life, all of life is an act of worship. That how we how we live our life is to live in the presence, the the, the, uh, presence of God to know that he is with us and to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. That's what we want to do. And it's just in everyday mundane things. Um, In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, it says, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything you do is an act of worship, even something as mundane and as uh, meaningless in, in the grand scheme of eating and drinking and whatever you do. Well, it was certainly a worshiping church, but also... It was a praying church. It's a praying church. They got together, they committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but they committed themselves also devoted themselves to prayer. And I didn't include that in worship, whereas it's a a part of worship, but I wanted to speak about it distinctly. One of the marks of Luke and Acts in his first and second volume is how much he talks about and shows Jesus in prayer. We have uh, probably about nine or ten places in Luke's gospel where none of the other gospel writers pick up on this, but that When Jesus was doing this he was praying he was praying here he was praying here he was praying there he was praying here and and all of these happen and none of the other gospels show Jesus in the same light and we carry that into the uh, into the uh, book of Acts as well so it's kind of interesting. That Jesus is teaching them how to pray all along. And they're saying to him, Lord, teach us to, teach us to pray. We see that that's so critical in your life. And um, that, that prayer uh, would, would be a core to them. And they never really fully got it until after Pentecost. Watching Jesus and his model and now the spirit in them, prayer is really uh, important for them. And when you go through... Uh, the book of Acts, you see numerous, numerous occasions of prayer. So they're devoted to prayer, and, and they're, they're praying everywhere. They go to the temple and pray. Peter and John did that in Acts chapter 3. They were on their way at the time of prayer to go, and, and that's when they healed that man who had, was uh, uh, lame from birth, and he was over 40 years old. Uh, they were going to pray, at, you know, if you will, at church, but they were—they had groups that were praying. When when uh, Jesus left, they had a ten-day prayer meeting that culminated in uh, the uh, Pentecost, uh, when they needed to find who was going to be the next apostle to fill out the roster of twelve. There was somebody uh, they they engaged prayer. We've got these two. Lord, show us which one it is. Uh, prayer was was so critical to everything they did, and. Uh, and, and so what happens is they're praying everywhere, and we see the importance of prayer. And when we're asking, how do we see a, a, a place turned upside down, uh, the, the world turned upside down, it, it, we need to remember that there's much to, to uh, help us understand about prayer. Um, and and let, me, let me just show you one case uh, where they're going through a, a difficult time. We have uh, John and Peter going to, to pray. On the way, they meet this lame guy, silver and gold, don't, we don't have, but as such as we have, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he does. And here's a guy who has never taken a step in his life. No baby step. He, he didn't, didn't learn as a baby. He could never, ever walk. And here he is now walking. And, and this was, this was uh, such an, an incredible thing that uh, the re- religious rulers are, are trying to figure out this because what happens is there's that act and then there's a sermon explaining who did this miracle. And when the, when the, um, when the leaders of the church got, or, or of the synagogue got a hold of this, uh, they hauled in Peter and John and said, what are you, what are you doing? And in, in, in what power and what name are you doing? And th- these are, this is a guy who denied Jesus over and over, even to a little servant girl. He says, I don't know who you're talking about. Leave me alone. Here he is now saying, if you want to know who did this, I'll tell you who did it. It was Jesus of Nazareth who you put to, whom you put to death. He, he, he was just so forward about it. And uh, they didn't know what to do with him because there's the guy and all the people are rejoicing. So they, they couldn't punish him publicly that way. They told him, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And you say, you know what? Don't, you, you can't tell us to do that because when it comes to obeying us, uh, to God or you, we're going to obey God every time. And, and so they go back and tell the other uh, disciples what has happened. And uh, what they do is they, they have a time of prayer. And, and I'm just going to quickly let you hear the prayer because I think it's instructive for us as we learn about praying and, and uh, what God does. So they get released and, and they call a prayer meeting. And here's what they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together and against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's, that's Psalm 2. And, and God laughs at these guys, but he sees the connection. Here are these Gentiles and Jews who, who are putting to death, um, who put to death Jesus. And and here he says, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel uh, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, did, listen to this, what your power has decided beforehand should happen. God was in control of this. He was directing it, guiding it. Now, Lord, here's their prayer request. Now, Lord, consider their threats and listen to this. Make them stop doing nasty things to us. No. Under the threat of, of intimidation that they wouldn't continue speaking in the name of Jesus, they say this. Now, we consider, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's their prayer. Give us boldness to continue to speak because they're intimidating us and and we need to keep speaking the gospel. And and not only that, grant us to continue to see your power uh, released in healings and exorcisms. And uh, after they prayed... The, uh, they were, uh, their meeting was shaking. The whole room is shaking like there's, a, there's an earthquake. And, 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 uh, and what happened was, and they spoke the word of God boldly. You see, a church that is turning the world upside down is a church that prays. It believes God, and it turns to God, and we see that happening, and, and it's... Uh, It's an incredible thing to see what what God does. Prayer continues to be a huge factor if you read through the book of Acts. Uh, The great British preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, was uh, showing guests around his church, and he asked them if they'd like to see uh, the church's power source. And they said, yeah, we'd like to see that. And so he went and took them through a door that led to the basement. And they went down there, and there were 400 people Praying, He said, this is the power source of uh, this church. God is moved to act when we in our helplessness call out to him in prayer. And uh, so it's a church that is uh, touching the world th- because of prayer. Well, and the last one we have here. It's an outreach church. It's an outreach church. The early church understand, understood that they had a mission. The early church understood that, that they, they weren't there just to, to live for their own pleasure, that they had a, been given a mission. In Luke, at the end of Luke, we have that, and in the beginning of Acts, we have it. Um, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses... To take the good news around the world. To Jerusalem. Everything comes from Jerusalem. That's the place where it starts. That's the place where it ends. Um, and, and not only Jerusalem. But all Judea. The whole, the whole province around this capital. But let's not forget the Samaritans. The, the half Jews. And let's extend to them. In, in that uh, province north of Judah. And, and then from there. Let's go to the ends of the earth which is exactly what they do in these in this 30 years that the gospel goes like like a fire uh, from Palestine, from uh, Israel uh, into Asia and into uh, into Europe and down. Paul goes to to um, Rome as well. And, And so they here they here they are. And they're to go wherever they go and share this news. And that's exactly what they do. They, they go and, and they share the good news and the saving power of Jesus Christ. And they reach out as God did. And uh, they actually see more people come. They devoted themselves to these things. But they're praising God and enjoying. And listen, listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They understood they had a mission. We, you know, sometimes, sometimes at church we realize that we're getting off track because we're asking, what do we have to do to keep people happy? How, how do we keep people satisfied? And sometimes we're not thinking about how do we fulfill the mission that God has given us, not just how do we, how do we, we can't have a country club environment here that panders to our needs and our desires. We have a mission. People are dying. People are, are dying and going to a Christless eternity, and we have been given what, what is needed to help people in that. And so 3,000 people, and then daily people who were being added. See, now you've got 3,000 Jesuses. It's not one Jesus, it's 3,000 of them, and they're sharing with others, and they're becoming followers of Jesus as well. And, and, and we, we move uh, ahead, and in, by Acts 4, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men believed grew to about 5,000. This is, this is in, in a very brief amount of time. I've gone through the whole book of Acts, and I tell you, there are about 18 references to growth in the church. We say, well, growth isn't, you know, it's, it's, it's more, it's more important that we be faithful, and that, you know, it's not about uh, numbers, and we get, you can't say it's not about numbers when you go through Acts. Now, only God can do this, so I'm not, I'm not saying who's right or wrong, but I know this, where God's power is being being unleashed by the Spirit, uh, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and the church will grow. And I know there's some very difficult and challenging mission fields and and, uh, I'm not discounting that. But I'll say this, the church uh, had a reputation. People knew about it and it was growing and it was putting Jesus on the map and that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to work at growing his church through us. And to have a reputation. And uh, how do you do that? Well, we said, uh, we said we need to receive the apostles teaching. We need to be grounded, grounded in the truth. We need to live a love, a life of love as Jesus did. And people are craving that. People are craving to be loved, to be, you know, they facing all kinds of difficulties and challenges. And, and we ought to be there meeting them in that way. We need to be a worshiping church that's exalted Jesus, exalting Jesus Christ. If he's been lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And uh, as he was lifted up on the cross, so we want to lift him up and exalt him in this place. And uh, we need to be a praying church, recognizing that we are not sufficient for the task. Only God can do that. And so we pray and seek his enablement. And we're an outreach church. We need to be bearing witness to the power of Jesus Christ enabled by the Spirit. These have been difficult days with the pandemic, uh, but pandemics are nothing new. Um, In fact, one of the early medical people who figured some things out about pandemics was a guy by the name of Dr. Galen, and he made a discovery that if you could remove yourself from uh, contact you could spare yourself. So between 165 and 180 AD, there was a a plague in Rome that took about half the population. And um, Dr. Galen understood that if he could, and others could get away from it, they would have the, the chance of living. And um, they think that it was either uh, smallpox or measles that, that was in this uh, pandemic that they were facing. Um, but they'd have to get away from the cities. They'd have to get away from congestion. And, and in those places, there was a lot of congestion. And if you were a person of, of means and had money, you could go f- far away and be taken care of and, and be away from people. But here's what happened. The, church, the, the, the believers couldn't run away from them. The, the believers, instead of running away from it, ran into the pandemic and cared for and nursed and helped people. And what, what they did was, was the opposite of what people, the greedy people did who just wanted to preserve themselves. Well, let me, let me t- ask you the question. When you're in that kind of situation and you have somebody that risks their own health and their life for you, what does that say about those people? And what happened was scads and scads of people turned to Christ because of Christians who were being what they should be and doing what they should do. And they sacrifice themselves for the well-being of others. And we ask, well, how did, the, how did that little movement, how did, it, how did it get around? We've only got the first 30 years in, in, uh, in the, the Bible. Uh, but he, this goes far beyond that, where Christians now are putting themselves in harm's way and people are turning to Christ because of the love shown to them. God has formed us into a new community. It, it's not Jew and Gentile but it's one new body, the body of Christ, the people of God, and working in concert together, God can do s- marvelous things that will put Jesus Christ on the map of, in our community and, and will touch countless lives. And so that's our prayer, that the Holy Spirit in us would empower this community of faith and believers and that we would walk faithfully with him and lovingly as as worshipers who who care about others, and we'll see him do incredible things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an incredible thing has happened in Christ Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for us, and thank you that you tell us not to keep this to ourselves. But, but you want us to understand that if, if we're going to be known in the community, that we need to reach out And we need to see you work in and through us and in our lives. And I just pray, Father, that you'd help us to be faithful in that. And and Father, we pray that people would know who Jesus Christ is. Lord, we have so many immigrants coming in and people who don't even understand their need. And I pray that you'd help them to come to faith in Jesus Christ and that we would see uh, scores and scores of people whose lives are being touched by Jesus Christ as we faithfully do our task. In Christ's name we pray, amen.